This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Anne Greenhall, and I am here tonight with my dear colleague and co-host, Jeff Klein. Mike Yuseem is off for the evening. How are you tonight, Jeff? Doing well. I am doing well. Doing well. Anything top of mind? Leadership topic top of mind tonight? Uh, well, you know, Anne, you and I spent a day and a half yes. with the wonderful staff of the McNulty Leadership Program. Yes, the Anne and John McNulty yes. Leadership Program. Uh, you know, and, and kind of it's that time of year at a university where we can spend a little bit of time looking backwards in order to inform our plans and intentions moving forward. Um, you know, and I, I don't know, I guess I, I find myself um, just reflective about organizational evolution and, and stages of development and the ways in which, um, you know, the, the ways in which maybe successful leadership practices of the past need to get adapted as you yeah. grow and mature and become more stable. And then also, you know, kind of recognizing that. And then at the same time, recognizing that there are uh, particular qualities of, you know, the ways in which we all do our work or um, interact with students or anything else that you want to hold on to because they're sort of core to our identity and our philosophy and everything else. And, you know, that, that, that tension of, um, that tension that's hard to describe apparently, <laughs> but, uh, that, that tension of trying to stay true to your roots while trying to, at the same time, adapt to today's context. Mm. Right. And if that isn't, it feels like a, uh, it's not even a metaphor. It's just a statement. I yeah. still have to come up with the metaphor. But, um, you know, it, it just seems relevant at lots of different kinds of organizations, lots of kinds of work. That's great. Yeah. Now, I can't resist sharing. I thank you. And what oh, stood out for me. Yeah. From uh, our meetings. From our meetings. Okay. From our meetings. So so just sharing was uh, Jules' comment about the after action review. Mm. And Jules Roy is uh, former... PJ. Pararescue Jumper. Thank you. Pararescue Jumper from yeah. the military. And he did just a nice, uh, just a fine, put a fine point on the after action review and talked about that really informal review that let's say you and my, you and I might have after we you know, co-teach a session. And mm -hmm. he called that the hot wash <laughs> where you just, you know, talk to your partner yeah, Hatch it out, informal. super informal. Yeah. Just say what happened, give a few reflections, call it a day. And then he talked about the slightly, slightly more um, formal debrief that you might do with other colleagues who are involved, but not maybe weren't there, but mm -hmm. they're partners and involved, well aware of what's going on. And then finally, the more formal debrief that takes place with people who have the least knowledge of what it was that you were what you were up to. Yeah. I just assumed from the way Jules told the story that 
as it got more serious, uh, he was just really describing that there'd be less swearing. <laughs> like the hot wash would just be full on, full on, make you blush, yeah. and then you know we just drop down one one at a time. Yeah. Well, but yes, the the notion that we're always in some sort of reflective process. Yeah. And that there are different kinds, and and I I also feel like part of um, what we were able to talk about today was um, you, you have to vary the format sometimes, right? Or it becomes, you know, it becomes too much of a standard practice, and we maybe stop challenging ourselves to see things or to ask ask questions or any you know ask questions that are going to lead mm-hmm. to new insights, right? So in varying the format, it also kind of keeps us fresh. Um, it reminded me of the, you know, the suggestion that to keep your mind fresh, you take a different route to work every day, mm, right? It's that nice. same kind of, that same kind of notion. Well, Jeff, we've talked about being, um, adaptive mm-hmm. as a leader, and I would link the, uh, reflective process to that in order to adapt. And we need to stop, pause and think about what happened and why it happened and what we might do sure. better in yeah, the future. Yeah. And, I know we're going to cover some of these topics with our guest who we have in studio, which is a really, really wonderful and rare treat. And tonight we have the opportunity to welcome Eric Rind, who's in the studio, as I said. And Eric is the CEO of Imagine BC, a software company that is building an app to help you protect and monetize, not only protect, but monetize your data. Eric, welcome so much to the studio. Thanks, Anne. I really appreciate you inviting me to join you today. Well, it's really a pleasure to have you. And we're looking forward to talking about leadership through your eyes and through your experiences. And uh, as Jeff knows, because I'm a teacher at heart, I can't resist asking a little bit about your background. And I know that you went to George Washington. Correct. And studied history. Yes, Okay. <laughs> Did you have a favorite period of time that you studied? Uh, at the time in university, I was really enamored with uh, Russian history, uh, uh-huh. and, and and I'm old. Oh, sorry, and I'm old enough to uh, that was the USSR back then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you sense. Right. So, so yeah, it was the USSR, and and, and the, so I took that was my specialty. Um, Recruited by the CIA out of school, of course, ah. but I was too much of a capitalist to go into the government service. But yeah, so that that was it. Uh, right now, um, in, the, in, in the time we're living in today, yeah. right, what is really capturing my imagination is the similarities that we're living in to the Gilded Era, the era of Carnegie Vanderbilt. Yeah. Mm. Right. So they were the manufacturing giants of the time. And of course, imagine you, you heard what Imagine BC is doing. Mm-hmm. We now have the equivalent on the on the data and tech side. Yes. And we have huge disparity between rich and poor. Right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the Gilded Age. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with so many members on the labor front and it's a fascinating journey yeah. because yeah. – I say there's two Eric Ryans. If you went back and talked to a 27-year-old Eric Ryan and asked me about labor, I would say, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I could say that now because yeah. now, first of all, didn't know any of them. Not fair. Young 27-year-old right. s- speaking mind without understanding you know, reality. That sounds and, like a 27-year-old. Exactly, right? <laughs> and now here I am, much older, and I get to speak to these people and I see what's going on and I understand what happened back then. I can almost put myself in the place mm-hmm. of these early labor leaders who were trying to take on these giants and mm-hmm. tell people, we can do this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to remain this way. 
Now, it's not going to happen tomorrow <laughs> and it's not right. going to happen next week. But trust us, we can take back control. And for them, it was, you know, let's stop working 80 hours a week and let's work 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Let's stop getting paid nothing and let's get a fair, you know, fair wage for our, for our labor. Well, what do we have today? Similar type thing. Let's take back control of our data. And even more importantly, let's earn a passive income from that data. And it becomes a critical thing, even bigger than just controlling your data and earning a fair income from that data. What's left out of that description is we're not just about monetizing your personal data, but even more importantly, monetizing your intellectual property and your time. These are even more critical than your data, right? (laughs) Right? And those are being given away freely too. Mm -hmm. And And being old, I lived in an era where you never did that. Mm-hmm. You just <laughs> it didn't happen. And, and here decades later, after this great paradigm shift, people now say, well, it's natural. But I say, no, it's not. And mm-hmm. if we don't change this paradigm back to mm-hmm. a more realistic model where you are fairly compensated for your time, your intellectual property and your data, we're going to have big, big problems. And we, I guess we could probably mm-hmm. get into that yeah. a little later. Yeah. But. <laughs> well, let's let's just you know, cover our bases and just say a little bit more about the data and how we're being taken advantage of. <laughs> Sure. Um, so I like to say the way I like to say it is, I think it was like in the late 90s, the great Faustian bargain was made. And again, being old, mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember when I paid $30 a month for access to email. Mm-hmm. Beep, beep, beep. You got me. Yeah, <laughs> that right. cost me $30 a month. Mm-hmm. And along came Yahoo and Google and said, world, here's yeah. free email. Yeah. Right. Holy cow. Right. Right. It was, it was mind boggling. They didn't tell us what they were going to do with the data. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the House Minority Leader who, who I go, right, I not politics, yeah, it was just yeah. I'm quoting the House yeah. Minority right. the other day. He, he told a beautiful story. He said, imagine the post office tomorrow said, right, all mail is free. Mm-hmm. Wow. But they, one caveat, we're going to open and read it all. Mm. People would go. But that's what's happened. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Why do you recoil from the, sto- the, the United States Post Office doing and not recoil from what the tech giants are doing? And that may have been a, what seemed like a fair bargain back mm-hmm. then. But if you look at the fortunes that are being accumulated on the data that they're accumulating without the people being compensated for that, I, it's, it's my personal opinion. And I think pe- many, many people share that we are no longer getting fair service mm-hmm. for the money being made from our data. And that has to stop. Mm-hmm. How about, and I'll make sure Jeff gets a word in here, but how about the intellectual property? Even more critical, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> another good one, right? So if if somebody, if you went and interviewed for a job, mm-hmm. right, and your students are going to do that, mm-hmm. right? They're going to graduate and some will try to become entrepreneurs and some will go into the workforce. So imagine you get an opportunity, you go to an interview and you, ha- you finish your interview. And at the end of the interview, the person on the other side of the desk says, oh, and that was an amazing interview. Awesome. So here's what's going to happen. I'm bringing you on. You're going to work 40 hours a week. And at the end of that 40 hours a week, I'm going to decide how much I owe you. And you're going to be happy to accept that, right? (laughs) What are you doing, Ann? You're out that door, right? (laughs) Right. You're out that door. Nobody would take a job like that. Didn't I just describe YouTube? (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah. I put all my intellectual property onto YouTube and I wait for them to cut me a check at some perceived value Mm. without really understanding the perceived value. If I even get a check. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. What's the threshold to get a check? Cause oh, I, yeah, what is, that's right. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, in fact, I now get bombed by emails from everybody. Oh, I know a kid who's making $100,000 a year. Right. 
and I knew a lot of kids who became millionaires playing poker. Right. There are all, and they're probably true stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it would be bad for YouTube if some people didn't make money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can't deny the science. And from what, from what I read, and I read an article recently, I think it was in the Times published, but it was a study by a guy out of Germany, last name of Bartle, B-A-R-T-L, who did a comprehensive study of YouTube. And the headline of the article said, parents don't let your kids grow up to be YouTubers. Mm. Because the data was in after he was studying this, and the data was that you, you have to work 55, 70-hour weeks, wow. right, to yeah. keep your content fresh. Right. Your lifespan is three years before you're irrelevant, before the mm. interest of the population turn. Mm-hmm. And if you do that and you happen to get millions of hits annually, still you should only expect to make about $17,000 a year. Wow. Now, that's what's in a study, so you right. can go look it up. Maybe right. I'm misquoting it, but yeah. I don't think so because it resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is really bad, <laughs> right? Yeah. 55 to 70 hour work week and I'm not mm-hmm. being fairly compensated. How much, how much is that intellectual property really worth? Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating things. I looked up, <laughs> my wife was watching and I, I, I shouldn't say just my wife, but I was watching with her some dumb mystery thing on the Hallmark channel. <laughs> and it was like called the crossword puzzle mysteries, but everything in my life now, it, it really equates to imagine BC because of what we're trying to do. And I said, crossword puzzles. It's intellectual property, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how much pe- you know, money crossword puzzle people make. And I kind of went online and looked it up, and I think I found that the New York Times pays somebody $300 if their puzzle is accepted and published. And I'm thinking, $300 <laughs> to make right. a crossword puzzle. Imagine now, and that's why our uh, – that's not really – but it's a great name for our company, Imagine BC, because I say imagine all the time because we're mm-hmm. talking about a new world. Yeah. Imagine that crossword puzzle, instead of having to go to the Times, can upload that into a community of millions of people who like doing crossword crossword puzzle and they say, hey, I'm going to charge a dime (laughs) for Mm -hmm. my crossword puzzle. But you put your data to work for you and it's making you money. So you exchange a dime with for the intellectual property, which is fair value. So you're not out of pocket because your data was out of working passively creating new income for you. But Mm -hmm. more importantly, the creator just made $100,000 if it was a million people. That's a lot more than 300 yeah. <laughs> right yeah. now. Now think of people putting their stuff on Pinterest and all the stuff. I mean, it just fascinates me that people give their intellectual property away for nothing. So why do you think they do that? I, I don't know. I, honestly, I, I thought about it. I don't know why this shift occurred. I think, that, you know, this has certainly happened in the late 90s, early 2000s. And mm-hmm. now, now we have a whole generation who just thinks that's the way to do it. Why did we switch back then? I don't think we were thinking about it in, you know, if, if we had a crystal ball and we'd see where we are today, I think we would all understand we would never make that bargain. At least that's what I'm beginning to see, mm-hmm. right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hearing people, enough's enough. Yes, what are the alternatives? There was just an article the other day. I mean, like it was this morning. YouTubers are saying, where's, we wish there were competitive environments. Where do we go? Mm-hmm. Who's offering us a better solution? The solution was the right, you know, it was the available solution. It seemed cool and it looked like I can make fortunes. Mm-hmm. And if you read that, PewDiePie makes, you know, whatever millions of, you know, he makes every year and you you hear the good stories, but you don't hear about the thousands, I'm sure, of people who are trying to make a living on YouTube who aren't cutting it. Mm -hmm. And is that because their intellectual property isn't a value? I don't know. They they still have followings of 200,000 people. That sounds pretty valuable to me. And they're not getting big enough checks. Yeah. Wrong platform. Well, let me just remind everyone that you are listening to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. We have in studio our guest, Eric Rind, who is CEO of Imagine BC, and Jeff Klein and I, Ann Greenhall, have the pleasure of speaking with him. 
Jeff, you have a follow-up, I can tell. <laughs> Many follow-ups. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. We'll start with have? one. Yeah. We've got a while. <laughs> so, Eric, um, I mean, I, I really appreciate the way you've kind of set the stage for this conversation. Yeah. And and so prior to founding um, prior to founding Imagine, Imagine BC, it you know, you have a professional track record which includes PowerPay software and it includes your role as president, um, CEO formerly of, of Lyceum Business Services. What led you at, at this point, and, and while you keep claiming that you're pretty old, it doesn't seem like you're that old. So. I'm, I'm young at heart. Yeah, exactly. Right? So but, but my body will tell you I'm pretty old. Um, but, like, kind of what led you to say now's the time um, where I want to I want to really embrace the entrepreneurial side of, of my heart and launch this new venture? Uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. Even okay. in the HR world, that was still entrepreneurial. So. That, that I, but this, uh-huh. what Imagine BC is, two things, two watershed moments, I guess you could say. First, I was introduced to blockchain technology about two and a half years ago. All right. And let me stop you for a second. Okay. Tell us all what that means. Because <laughs> after the word leadership, blockchain may be the second most widely used and misunderstood <laughs> word in the English language. Perfect. Okay. And, and, and let's, let's, let's get something on front. Block, if blockchain is a hammer, not, everything is not a nail, okay. right? I mean, there, there, <laughs> That's great. there are not – every solution is not a blockchain solution. I sat recently at, at a UN uh, summit on blockchain and, and, and Bill Cleary – I mean uh, Bill uh, Bronner over here was sitting next to me. I kept learning over and over, what do you need blockchain for that for, <laughs> right? I could have right. done that with an Oracle database 25 years ago, right? right? Exactly. So let's face okay. it. Blockchain is not necessary to solve the ills of mankind. But what we're doing, it is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. And here's why. So so I was introduced to the technology. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sorry to say, but again, being old, I'm a natural skeptic. So I had a zealot telling me this technology is going to change the world. And let's, again, let's make sure what we're talking about here. We're talking about the distributed nature of blockchain technology, not Bitcoin. Okay. Not potential future Libra, not Ethereum, not mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. The history Part of me will tell you, yes, we're probably due for a shift in currency. Mm-hmm. Started with wampum, right? Yeah, right. Went to gold, mm-hmm. eventually got to fiat. Right. It's probably time for a shift to a currency that matches our digital age. Mm-hmm. Will it be in my lifetime? I, I don't know. I'm not concerned with that because cryptocurrency is separate. Blockchain powers that cryptocurrency, but blockchain can do much more than that. Okay. So that I at least understood. But as, as the fellow who's explaining to me, John Cronin, was going, was talking on. Oh, it's going to change this. It's going to change that. It's going to be wonderful. They'll be able to do elections through it. And I, the, the skeptic in me, said, "John, first, let's start with the idea that it's unhackable, right?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Don't tell me something's not unhackable. Right. <laughs> Anything can be hacked if you want to throw enough power at it." Mm-hmm. I said, "So, <laughs> if that is true, if I'm true, and it can be hacked, and everything you said, if everything you're saying goes on the blockchain, that we've just created the Titanic, but on a global scale." The Titanic was the ship of its age, right? Mm-hmm. right? It set out to sail and everybody was so sure it was unsinkable, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They, what these, these geniuses forgot to put watertight compartments in. Mm-hmm. And when it became sinkable, it went down like a stone. Right. Mm-hmm. Water, anybody knows if they had watertight compartments, many lives would have been saved. So I said to John, this is the Titanic. Everybody thinks this stuff's unhackable. And therefore, nobody's going to put any safeguards on. So when somebody does get through, we're in deep trouble. Okay. That's how I left it, skeptic. 
But John's so powerful and such a bright guy that I, it just didn't leave me. So I said, look, I have to learn more. It was two days I spent with him. It wasn't enough time to learn. Right. So I started to do all my own research, all my own reading. Um, the book that really changed for me was a book written by uh, Dan and Alex Tapscott okay. called Blockchain Revolution for two reasons. It was written in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. I am a technologist, but I'm not a mathematician. Mm-hmm. And blockchain comes down to cryptography. That's a special world. They explained it to where I understood that, yes, it might be able to be hacked, but there's not enough computing power in the world today to do that. Mm. So all the, I felt safe. Mm-hmm. Now I at least felt safe. And then it went on to say that what really it can do is inject trust back into a system. Mm-hmm. Now, this resonated with me because, again, if you look at the world we're living in, trust is gone. Yeah. Right. And again, what I like to say is I hearken back to a time 1200 years ago where we, we were, where we were born. You were born 1200 years ago. <laughs> no, but I You're stu- older than you look. <laughs> but, I, no, but I study that time, right? And I do a lot of reading about yeah. that. And right. So we, in 1200 years ago, we were born, lived and died within two square miles. Right. We knew everybody in our community. So I knew who the bad people were and I knew who the good people were. And I wanted to do a commercial transaction, trade a goat for a chicken. I knew I didn't trade with the bad person. I only traded with the good person. Mm -hmm. And then along came technology, agrarian society, growth and populations. And I didn't know everybody in my community anymore. We were growing. We were expanding as a people. So we needed – I'm using air quotes here – trusted third parties. Mm -hmm. And they've had an excellent run. Banks. I hate to say governments, Mm -hmm. accounting firms, right? Many centuries of helping us get to where we are today. But have you seen what's going on? I worked for Price Waterhouse Mm -hmm. when it was Price Waterhouse. Right Right. now it's PwC, not even Price Waterhouse Coopers. It has to just be PwC. But I worked for a big eight accounting firm, and we were held to a standard Mm-hmm. That was unknown in industry. We, I was not. An, I was on the consulting side, not an auditor, but I knew the auditors, and they were keeping the books of publicly held companies. Then, in then, Arthur Anderson goes down cooking the books for Enron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kept reading it over and over and over again. I couldn't believe it. And then my own beloved Price Waterhouse gets caught up in the Corzine scandal, and I'm thinking now this. Some of these people, you know, may, I may have been working with back when I was working there. Yeah. What happened? And, you know, and then, of course, our banks, <laughs> 2008, right? right? They're gambling on our money? I'm sorry. Trust is eroding and our government. Trust is eroding our government. So here I'm reading and saying blockchain can inject trust into a system. I understand now from the mathematics it's probably not hackable, at least in my lifetime, right? Quantum computing may get there, but that right. will assume that safeguards, quantum safeguards aren't put in place. You're talking about stuff beyond my my ability to, to speak to that side of it. But that that was it. Now I said, okay, I love this stuff. I get it. <laughs> I have to be involved with it. Started down the path of putting it into my HCM product. Mm-hmm. And because think of what an HR payroll benefits administration does. Think of how much personal information we sit on. Social security number, bank accounts, HIPAA compliant mm-hmm. benefit information. We, we have it all about the people who we happen to be processing payroll and HR and benefits for. So I said, well, there's a single point of risk in my system. I have mm-hmm. a database like Equifax, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And if anybody Equifaxed me, I don't have their power. I'm probably gone tomorrow. So wouldn't it be cool if we used blockchain technology to distribute this personal data back to the individual? Mm-hmm. They lock it into their wallet, their digital wallet. Mm -hmm. So only they have control over it. And then we providing a service for them needed their data. We asked them for permission for it. Sounded wonderful. Seemed great. Started down this path of building this part of our application. About six months in, we kind of realized we're not building a new part of our HR application. We're building a new way for people to think. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to control my personal information. Right. We're going to need something a lot sexier. Tell us about like that moment right. of <laughs> we're building an HR system. Oh, this is much bigger than oh, that. Mm-hmm. It was, but, yeah. How do you realize it and how does it affect mm-hmm. your mindset as a leader? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, so <laughs> that was the point where I knew – and that HR system, I designed all that technology. Right. I have two sons. It's my third child. Okay. Right. I, I own it. It's, Who do you, you love know. the best? <laughs> now, now, Jeff. My children. <laughs> right answer. And if my sons are listening now, they're trying to pick which one right. of the two yeah. of them. Yeah. It's the older one. Right. <laughs> now, now, spoken by the oldest. <laughs> right. So at this point, it was. A, it really was an interesting moment because I knew that when I this was a time in my life, I have spent nearly three decades doing nothing but trying to change the way payroll has been done. Mm -hmm. And I'm about to try to change the way people think about the control of the personal data. Mm -hmm. It was hugely risky, right? right? Uh, And I knew I was going to take my company in a new direction. Now, our existing company still exists. It's still cash flow positive. It's funding this right now, Mm. right? We don't have outside capital in this right now. But I knew this was the direction we have to go in for two reasons. One is that business is not a, a, a hugely growing business, number one. Secondly, it's not going to because if you, again, believe what's being written out there, sure. we're looking at a time in the near future where the gig economy is going to come in and the stats are anywhere from 25 to 40 percent of our workforce will become mm-hmm. gig workers. Well, that means they're not W-2 employees anymore. Mm-hmm. My technology is the W-2 payroll technology. Mm-hmm. How viable I am when I'm in tiny, tiny player in a shrinking market. So, you know, that's a tough decision to make. It's it's tough to almost not walk away, but make a departure from your life's work to say, this is important. We have to take the company to go in that Mm -hmm. direction. The second thing that happened to coincide with it, and the second biggest moment was the birth of my grandson. Again, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and, and now we know who you love the most. <laughs> <Yeah>. Correct. <laughs> that's an acceptable answer. All, all the pleasure without it. <laughs> <laughs> but what that does is, again, so I've now been through stages of life. My young 27-year-old, where yeah. I, I was master of the world and I knew all the answers. Uh, dealing with a, a long and successful marriage to a woman who's very successful in her own career. Mm-hmm. And you learn that this is a partnership, mm-hmm. right? You're not, you can't be all yourself. Then your children come. And when they're very young, you start to see the world through their eyes. Mm-hmm. When they're 20, what's the world going to look like, mm-hmm. right? And then they get to be 16 and they don't care about you anymore. Mm-hmm. So you, that, you can actually put that aside. You stop leaking because their eyes aren't open. You can't see through <laughs> them anymore. <laughs> and then came the grandson just mm-hmm. recently. And, and the timing is amazing, right? And now, again, I'm now looking at a future that my grandson will see 20 years from now. And I'm saying, if it, this path continues, yeah. it, it could be very, very bleak. And that's when I said, I can't do it. I can't allow that to happen. So I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to read headlines and bitch on my couch, right? Mm-hmm. This is my moment. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to stop talking about it. And I'm going to try to really do something about it. And even what I'm doing here today, if you talk to my friends, it's very outside my normal comfort zone. I'm kind of introverted. You might not know that, but I really am. I stay <laughs> in my own shell. Getting out on the road, moving away from my family, speaking about this in an mm-hmm. evangelical manner, it's all different for me. And oh. it's interesting. I'm learning again, which is nice, but you have to do it. I had to do it. I cannot allow Theo, my grandson, to live in a world that I'm seeing. I And, and, and so now I have another world called the world of Imagine BC. Yeah. And I like that world. Oh, that's great. And it, well, let's create that one. Well, that's the world I want him to live in. Well, talking about speaking of the future and imagining the future, we're going to take just a short break. 
and come back. And afterwards, we will have the opportunity to continue our conversation with Eric Rind, CEO of Imagine BC, on Leadership in Action, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm Ann Greenhall, and here with Jeff Klein, and we will be right back. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Ann Greenhall. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm in studio with, as Jeff would say, my good buddy and co-host, Jeff Klein. And tonight we have the opportunity to interview Eric Rind, who is the CEO of Imagine BC. Wait, hold on. Can I just ask? Yeah. I would, I would call myself No, you my call me your good buddy <laughs> oh. and co-host. You, you made it sound like I refer to myself as my good buddy. Well, I am it, one of my best you know friends. What? Yeah. It's important. Yeah. I'm fond of myself. This is very yeah. important. But you know who I like even more than that? Dion Simpkins. Our producer tonight producing and usually our sound engineer. <laughs> Very good. Well, we have the pleasure of being here tonight with you, Eric Ryan. So uh, before the break, we were talking about sort of the issue. So in short, the issue is that all of us are giving away our data our intellectual property, and our time for free. (laughs) And there are just mammoth companies who are taking advantage of our willingness to do this. And so you want to set this right and give uh, all of us control of our own data and moreover give us the ability to monetize it if we so choose. And the way to that is through blockchain technology. Uh, Not just blockchain technology, but also AI and machine language technology. Ooh. as well. Okay, we didn't talk about that. Both Say are, a word. Both are, both are critical. Okay, how come? Okay, so again, let's do blockchain and just finish it because okay. without blockchain technology, I wouldn't even be sitting here. It just It's that simple. Blockchain technology gives you that distributed network okay. that allows us to say to what we feel we're, we're building a community, so we have members of our community, honestly say to them that it is you who own your data. We don't have it. Only you control it. Without blockchain technology, if all the data was sitting in a centralized database, let's say it again, you're Equifax, mm-hmm. right? So it just you couldn't honestly set, say to somebody, no, you don't, you're not in control of your data. Some bad hat can get through mm-hmm. and steal it. But with blockchain technology, we can honestly say to our members that except for a 48-hour period when we're verifying where they are, they own it. And I can tell you, my lawyers can tell you that because we're writing our terms of service and privacy policy and they keep putting, you know, and they'll email you or they'll call yeah. you, right? you know, t- standard stuff in legal yeah. agreements. And I keep crossing it out. Yeah. And I'm saying, how? I don't know who they are anymore. <laughs> After we verified them, we've destroyed that data. We don't even know who they are anymore. That you ha- that's why we say we're a closed loop system mm-hmm. because we'll never email you. We'll never text you. It all happens inside of our community, which is inside our mobile application. And that puts you in control. No more pop-up ads, no more creepy texts that show up when you said a word and there's an ad about the word you said, right? Mm-hmm. That's an annoyance. That's all gone. It comes to the app. It's on your time, you review the opportunities that we hope we've created for you. And that's how you're in control. Now, what I just said, it gets into the AIML aspect of it. Okay. So, in, in fact, uh, my partner in this is because I could never try to get into AI and ML on our own. So we have a wonderful partner called We Are AI. CEO there is a fellow named John Vigoro. And John and I joke all the time. He said, Eric, if you had met us before you named the company, you would have called the company Imagine AI because 
blockchain <laughs> being critical, once there, that's it. That's what it does. It just allows us to be sure we you're always in control. But the way we help you monetize the data is using the same technologies those tech giants are using to monetize the data. Nobody can go through these giant data sets on their own and try to do it. So we have to use the same technologies. One dramatic difference. We deploy those technologies to create opportunities for our members and our members keep 90% of the revenue created by those opportunities. That's a huge difference. And, and give us an example yeah, of right. uh, what are those opportunities? Uh, well, virtually any business that's in a B2C world, there's opportunities. Right. So I like uh, these days I'm calling it our magic triangle because it seems to resonate well. So here's how our ecosystem works. So if you could envision a triangle and th- mm-hmm. say at the top of that triangle, those are the retailers and brands we're trying to reach mm-hmm. consumers. Natural. My dad was a madman. He was literally Don. Who was it? Don Draper. He was one of the other guys. Yeah, right, but right. he lived in that world. In that world. The advertise, you advertise on television, you yep. advertise on billboards, you advertise on radio. That's how you got your message through. And then it came the tech giants and they said, we've got a better way to do this. You advertise digitally. You target your messaging to because we've got this data that we're making available to you. So the retailers want to reach consumers. Mm-hmm. And we may be now on yet another tipping point. And certainly we are hoping, Imagine PC hoping it is, which is this interference has got to stop. There's got to be a better way. We don't want to lose the idea of target messaging, but we want to make that a better way to do it. So but we got our retailers at the top of the triangle. We've got our consumers, let's mm-hmm. say, in the bottom left part of the triangle. Mm-hmm. And then we have our intellectual property sellers on the right side. Now, of mm-hmm. course, those could be the same, but let's keep them separate for now. So you have your intellectual property sellers. So I was actually in speaking to a company the other day trying to convince them that we're the place to start sending, spending their marketing dollars. And I'm explaining this to them. So now let's say – company, you inject a dollar, let's at least you inject a thousand dollars into our ecosystem. First of all, 900 of those dollars are going back to the actual consumer you're sending your message to. You're paying the consumer to consume your message. Now through our, the AI tools, it's going to be a targeted message. And our community has their hands up and saying, send them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I want my data working for me. Now, why do I want my data working for me? Because I want to buy this content that used to be free. Hmm. Right? So we have the intellectual property holders on that other side of the triangle. So I see content from a hockey player, right? Mm-hmm. They, right? You know, lessons on how to uh, slap shot, normally mm-hmm. posted to YouTube. But that hockey player, that's his brand. He wants to make money off of that content. So he's uploaded that content, and I'm a big follower of this hockey player, and I need 25 cents to pay for that content now. But meanwhile, my little company has injected mm-hmm. $2 for you to answer a survey. Cool. You know, 30 seconds of my life, $2, I take 25 cents of that and buy this guy's content. That's when the company said to me, that's a win-win because (laughs) we now have a community who wants to receive our message. It's probably a valuable message based on the metrics that we know. They want to receive it. They're consuming it and they're consuming it to gain even more value because they're getting the content that they want. It's a positive image of our brand. And I leaned across to her and I said, it is a win-win. I'm glad you saw that. But let's face it, in life, there's no such thing as a win-win without somebody losing. And they mm-hmm. kind of look at me strangely. I said, but so who's the loser here? And they're puzzling. I said, well, it's Google and Facebook and the other guys. Because what's happened here is the money's been routed away from them into this community yeah. for a better purpose. And here's the real kicker on it. So what we found is we start to talk to people about joining our community. Growth is essential. We've got to grow fast. Mm-hmm. So we have a very attractive, we thought a very attractive idea of internal referrals. Bring your friends and family into the community. And when you do, you'll be compensated. Why? Well, I have my phone here. It's not going to ring. But 
on every one of our phones is something called your contact list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, most people don't think about it, but that is intellectual property. Mm-hmm. I've spent a career <laughs> yeah. gathering these people. And, you know, there's apps that come in and say, can we access your contact list? And if you said yes, guess what they're using it for, right? right? What we're telling you is put it to work for you. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. But what we found is on both sides of the spectrum, very young people, some were saying, you know, I'm not crazy about the idea of making money from inviting my friends. It's not that I don't want to invite them, but I'm not crazy about making money from the idea. And on the older end, which are my buddies and the curmudgeons, they're like, I don't need the money. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I need the money for, right? <laughs> so the answer to that is, and I, it's sad to say, first of all, it's taken so long for us to think this up. And it's even sadder that I didn't think it up. <laughs> my wife did. So <laughs> credit where credit is due. Credit yes. where credit is due, which is we're an intellectual property world. And for me to take somebody else's would be unfair, <laughs> right. right? So she said, Eric, why don't you just let them donate it to charity? They may not need it. They may not want it. But how about yeah. giving it to a yeah. social cause? So we're actually going to add that in. It may not be there with our friends and family launch, but it'll be there soon after. So now it's you're not taking money from your friends, but your friend's activity is going to donate to your nearest and dearest cause. Mm-hmm. And our old, my old buddy, buddy, is it, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. You may not need the money, but I guess you probably have a cause you would like that money to go to. Sure. Put your data to work and let it go there. So I, I went back to this company I was speaking to. And I said, now imagine it's not just your dollar that went to the consuming public. But even better, some percentage of that is going to end up in charitable contrib- contributions. You may be injecting $900 in, and 300 of it may be going out to contributions because Americans definitely and yeah. most people in the world, we're actually kind, generous. giving, generous people, mm-hmm. right? And if I don't need the money, certainly I can find a cause to give it to. And if you can't, we'll find just a, a number of wounded warriors, nonpartisan, let's not talk mm-hmm. politics, mm-hmm. but there are causes we as all Americans know mm-hmm. that it's just the right thing to do. We may not have the money to do it, but it, here's passive income being raised. Let it go. So now we have this amazing engine that says we've got consumers who want it because they want to buy value from intellectual property. And meanwhile, the retailer brand they're going to be they're going to be heroes. Your money's gone into me, but went over to my charity. Some of it may have gone to me, right? This is this is truly a, a win win win, even on the charitable side. So, we're, we're that's that's the world we see, and it's it's a pretty positive one. <laughs> so, Eric, is the equation simpler when it's not a triangle, but simply a line? In other words, when the customer is also the one who has intellectual property. Uh, the, the answer to that is that there are many businesses out there trying to do just the lines. Mm-hmm. They're really hard to do. Okay. Say a little bit more. Why? Um, tons of companies are out there saying, hey, we're going to help you monetize your personal information and we'll get the retailers to do it. But how do they build their communities? It's really hard to build the community. Secondly, it's it, if you're not stupidly well-funded, like a lot of the tech giants were when they began, mm-hmm. how do you compensate them? You don't have enough money rolling in to mm-hmm. create the opportunities. So it's very hard. Mm-hmm. And there's no balance to the community. What's, uh-huh. the, what's the value to the retailer? Okay, yeah, I'm getting the data, but there's no real increase to their brand. Mm-hmm. We've just said what we've done through the charitable contribution, and I've made the money to spend it on something I really want is an increase to your brand. So we found that a lot of the, the, the other folks who are doing that single line where it's retailer to consumer just on personal data, really hard to build the community and get started. Meanwhile, we face the same chicken the egg issue, which is we, we really want the intellectual property people to be gaining mm-hmm. the, you know, their trip value. But how do you get them to agree to move their intellectual property from platform A to our platform unless there's a community to, of uh, buyers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's no question. It really wasn't chicken and egg. Mm-hmm. It has to be community first. So we kind of went at it backwards. 
intellectual property people, but we need a community. What are we going to tell the community why they want to be in here? Well, we can help them monetize their personal data. That was the starting point for us to know that that's what we were going to do. But our end line has always been to get the intellectual property people. This triangle, honestly, has only come – my awareness of it is how it works together. This balancing ecosystem is the last three to four weeks. We've been in the roots and I've had a chance to step back and look at it and see mm-hmm. it's this balance that makes it all work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to come up together and that's critical, right? What the people who join Imagine BC have to understand is after you finish registering and even added some data and don't expect the kitchen, yeah, <laughs> money is right. not going to be rolling in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to labor. When labor got everybody organized, they didn't get concessions the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. It was a long, hard fight. Now, thankfully, things moved slower back then. We're in the digital age. Mm-hmm. Things move a lot faster. So it's not going to take years like it did back then, but it's not going to be days or weeks, right? We have to get to numbers to bring enough retailers in that this money is always going to be churning around. So there needs to be patience on the community side. It's essential. But it's working for you passively. So what's the big deal? Download the app, put your data in, set your trust score within our app, and then just let it wait. And when it finally pings you, it'll never stop pinging you. <laughs> and that <laughs> ping is just to say there's – right? We know, that's when we know that the money is starting to flow. And that means the money is moving away from the giants and into us. And that's the essential thing when people say, Eric, you, who, how can you stop Google and Facebook? And the answer is change the flow of money. <laughs> it's, right? Rewrite, follow the money. Follow the money. Mm-hmm. Without the money, who are those guys? Mm-hmm. And it's not their money. <laughs> They're not injecting it in. Mm-hmm. It's every marketer, advertiser. It's their money. Mm-hmm. Used to be on TV. Now it goes to Google. Better bring it to Imagine BC because it goes back to your consumer and out to charity. And and 10% to Imagine BC, of course. Very good. (laughs) Of course. All right. Just want to remind everyone that you are listening to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm here with Jeff Klein. I'm Ann Greenhall. And together we are speaking with Eric Rind, who is the CEO of Imagine BC. So, Eric, we've talked a lot about the, you know, the genesis of your company and the reason for being a little bit about the technology. I feel wiser now. I understand blockchain and the distinction between cryptocurrency and so on. Can we, since this is a, this is a show about leadership in action, <laughs> I can't resist asking you a little bit about some lessons learned in this journey that you've taken from HR <laughs> exec to now, you know, entrepreneur and founder of Imagine BC. So when you think back on this journey, what are some leadership lessons that come to mind? Yeah, it's it's okay. Well, it's an interesting journey. I'll go one step back further. Okay. When I out of college, when I graduated from GW, I, my, I was lucky enough to get a job working for Pricewaterhouse in their management consulting group. As as a Russian history expert. (laughs) Yes. Well, okay, here's the story on that. You had to take nine credits of statistics, right? Got it. Three courses, three three credits each. One of those courses happened to be a Fortran. Again, that's how old Uh, I am. (laughs) A Fortran programming course. Why that was in statistics, I don't know, but I had to take that. And I realized in that course, well, I'm pretty good at this stuff. And I also realized I'm a history major. What am I going to do with that? I'm not going to law school. What am I going to do with a history major? But I'm pretty good at this computer stuff. Mm -hmm. So I loved my major. I finished it. I graduated with it. But I had absorbed myself in everything computers and programming for the Mm -hmm. remaining two years of my life in college and had 
some amazing jobs. I got a job with working as an intern for the Chicago Sun-Times, doing computer work for them, roll call vote analysis, fascinating stuff. Actually got bylined on a couple of articles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a journalism major's dream job and I'm yeah. just writing program code, right? So really cool stuff. So went – so. Yeah, Russian major, but they hired me because I actually had a very particular skill that they needed with a very particular type of computer. Mm -hmm. So we're hiring for one particular position, and my skill set happened to match that. Lucked into it. Normally, to be honest, I probably wouldn't have gotten hired at Price Waterhouse at that time. They recruited at a higher level than Mm -hmm. GW was at that time. But this was management consulting. It was the, you know, tech was coming in. This was the Mm. early 80s, right? right? And, And I got lucky. And to show you how I made my this, – this is a good story. I hope you don't mind. But I made my career at Price Waterhouse from this. So the word, the word processing right. room, the word processing room was three floors up. My responsibility, my first responsibility in this job, we were doing a huge consulting gig designing a new payroll system for the uh, civilian population of the Navy, of the, of the uh, Navy. So the civilians, not the soldiers. Mm-hmm. And my job was to maintain the mnemonic list. <laughs> now, so we've got – 20 consultants writing specifications, and my job was to maintain the mnemonic list on this particular set of code. And I had to do it locally, and then I had to walk it up to the word processing room uh-huh. to, so that they Where could type it in. It was a pool, which would then get distributed back down to all the consultants, and this happened every day. And I finally went to my manager, who then took me to my partner. I said, I don't want to put myself out of a job, <laughs> but this has got to be an easier way to do this. The word processing room is upstairs. I walked up there. They have a modem. Get me a modem down here and I can just put it right into the file and let it print. And we could take everybody else out of the loop. <laughs> I literally had like four partners watch me do this. Mm-hmm. My four partners, imagine we could watch me deal with a beep. <laughs> I, think, I think it was a 1200 baht motive at the time. <laughs> the spirit of disruption. There, yeah, there right? is. Oh, I love it. It was really that. It, 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 was, it was not just that I thought that up, but it was the brazenness of me actually going, right. there's a better way to do this. That made my career price worse. And I became, got on a different track than I originally was brought on. But I was a management consultant. Those years were wonderful. Wonderful years. Eight years where it's so rare in your life. And I would – for young people out there, if you're thinking of yeah. going right into entrepreneurial world, I tell you don't. <laughs> if you can get a job working in a consulting gig, take it at least for a couple of years mm-hmm. because there wasn't a single day that I didn't wake up and run to work. How many people can say that? Yeah. Every day I was learning something because I was either learning something about what my client was doing or I was learning how the internal machinations mm-hmm. of a large company, Price Warehouse was yeah. a little company. There was a partner track you had to deal with, the politics of that. Fascinating. Nine years, loved every day of it. And through a set of events, had to leave it. And that was when I branched into the entrepreneurial world. And I had been, mm. I had been recruited away. Uh, I had been courted to leave Price Warehouse. I said, I'm never going to leave a job I hate. Mm-hmm. But events happened that forced me to, to decide to leave Price Warehouse. And that's where I became an entrepreneur. Now, here's the startling thing when you become a boss. Because now you, <laughs> now you think, wow, I thought my job was great. Now I get to do everything I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me no. I spend most of my time in those years dealing with personnel issues, 
Yep. Right? Other people were having the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't having the fun anymore. Yeah. Right? And, and in fact, the guy who recruited me away, uh, bless his soul, wonderful guy, he'd keep coming and saying, are you happy you left Bryce Waterhouse? And I'd always respond, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would love my job there. Yeah. This presidency, entrepreneurial stuff is not the gig you think it is. Yeah. I, I was just uh, two great. nights ago, I was talking to a, a friend who's a newly elevated CEO, a, you know, mid-sized firm. He said, "You know what? I never realized, Jeff." I said, "What?" He said, "Leadership kind of sucks." Yes. <laughs> it really, it, it's a whole new set of issues, yeah. right? And so my job there, and, and they're always a little different, right? Right. And, and I, and the beauty of working at PW was I was had entrepreneurial capability, but within the womb of a very large company, they weren't folding tomorrow. When you're an entrepreneur, yeah. tomorrow could be the last day. Right. It's your next dollar. Right. It's it's just a different set of worries and issues. And then those things called employees. And and here and here's what's interesting. Um, it, it depends who you are, I guess, personally. But for me, leadership always meant that I had to balance three different constituencies, mm-hmm. my clients. Right. My equity holders, my shareholders mm-hmm. and my employees. Mm-hmm. And if you asked me on any given day which was more important, I'd give you the same answer every day. The truth of the matter is it's always your employees because nobody can do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you don't treat your employees fairly, it's not going to happen for you. Now, that doesn't mean that every employee has ever loved me. I can tell you there are employees who probably – I've had that probably hate my guts. <laughs> but Hard my, to believe, but Eric. I can, but You're I can, very charming. But I can tell you – That's in his more introverted days. <laughs> OK. But my mindset was that first. They don't, but most people don't get me a lot of times. They don't right. understand. With, uh, uh, I, 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 but I lead by example. So when I come to work, I don't spend a lot of time BSing. Mm-hmm. Right? I sit down. I do my work. And what I've always told my employees – and this is probably the biggest issue – I'm not a big handholder. I, I manage like I wish I would be managed. Mm-hmm. And because I'm pretty brazen and, and, right, and self-sufficient, yeah. I want be able to know I can walk into my manager's office and you know shoot the shit with them and get answers mm-hmm. that I want to get. But otherwise, they're going to stay out of my business. Many, many employees don't want to be managed that way. I'm not the best match for that. Mm-hmm. I want to – I like sure. – right? So I always tell people, look, my door is wide open. It's never closed. Walk in. Most a lot of people don't have the you know, the guts to walk <laughs> through the door, right? right? And that that and, and I don't know how to get them to do it. That that's not a skill set I have. So I match up to some, and I'm sure every leader has it. For me, yes, I always think through my mm-hmm. just like my grandson. I think through my employees, right? What's fair for them? Mm-hmm. There have been times in my career. Now this is probably unusual, but I have gone working without a salary because when the decision came, fire two people, mm-hmm. or. Me mm-hmm. go, I turn to my wife and say, can we live without? Because I don't want to fire two people. Why? One, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Secondly, you've got an investment in intellectual property in them, right? You've mm. trained them. If they're good, you don't want yeah. to lose them. And my upend in this has never been salary. My upend is always my equity. Every entrepreneur should think that way, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, it's the equity in your company, not your salary in your company. Mm-hmm. So when there's a decision, you take the cut. To keep the people, and, and finally, they're, they're they're loyal to you. If they're good employees, you don't. If there's ways around it, find sure. solutions before you ax them. It's just really hard to do. Mm-hmm. So, so those are those are tough leadership questions, and th- you know that's that's what entrepreneurs do more than they do problem solving. 
consultants solve problems. Yeah, we have <laughs> our good buddy Mike Yuseem likes to say um, the thing about being a CEO or, mm-hmm. or any designated leader yeah. like that is all the easy problems get solved before they get to you. Yeah, that's excellent. Right. That's exactly right. So, right. I'll give it all to right. you, Andrew. So, yeah. So, Eric, so we have just uh, a minute or so. And so parting words to our listeners, what would you like them to remember or think about on the from you know after this interview well certainly we're going to be inviting millions and millions of people to join our community so hopefully you'll remember our name you'll remember our message when you get the invitation you'll realize what we're about and as importantly remember what i said we're in this together so we won't be making you money immediately but if if you've been listening and i'm seeing a lot of head nodding here this can work this Mm -hmm. really can work if we're patient and we do it together just like the unions work Okay, so if if a listener wants to go to you and find out more about Imagine BC, how does that happen? Our website is www.imaginebc.net.net.net.com. And uh, on the website, there's a place for you to sign up to be invited because you have to be invited to join our community. So please sign up to be invited and we'll make sure we get your referral code so you can join the community when we launch. And we start to launch in July, but it'll be generally available to the public probably starting at the end of August, September. Very good. Well, Eric, we definitely want to thank you so much for joining us in studio and talking about Imagine BC. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. All right. Well, Jeff, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but maybe just a quick thought after action review based on the interview with... Our guest, Eric Rind. Can I can I just tease you? Sure. Did you say block change? No. <laughs> block change. I, I thought at one point you said block no, change. No, block change. We're, we're going to the tape. <laughs> we'll leave to lean on we're, we're Dion going, Simpkins we're going for to that. Dion. I want oh. I want to hear the tape. I believe the exact <laughs> the exact phrase was I finally understand block change. <laughs> Is it true? Dion says yes. Oh. Uh, it's nothing like All right. live radio feedback, yeah, huh? Right. Thanks, Jeff. I guess we did the AAR. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I just wanted to say how nice it was to do tonight's show with you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> All right. So let me thank our guest, Eric Rind. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us tonight and talking to us about Imagine BC. I've just got to say, my wife just texted me and she said, well done. And Anne did say blockchain. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, listeners, I hope you'll come back anyway. (laughs) And you've been listening to Leadership in Action on Sirius Radio (laughs) XM, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I am Ann Greenhall, and I am with Jeff Klein. Come back next week and join the show. Good night. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 